This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The great Gildersleeve is on his way to appear before a nasty judge when disaster strikes. He gets the hiccups. Kraft presents the great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Each week at this time, Kraft presents from Hollywood, California... Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard A. Levinson. And now let's visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve. Mr. Gildersleeve, report of a state of Marjorie and Leroy Forrester Miners, submitted by Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve Guardian. Well, it looks very neat, Ted. Should impress Judge Hooker. Is it complete? All but the name of that firm that leased the 12th Street property. Oh, yes. Let's see. What was that firm? Oh, yes. The Swanky Hanky Shopping. Thanks. I'll just fill that in. It was a 99-year lease, wasn't it? Yes, 99 years with monthly options. Oh, Marjorie. Oh, hello, Ted. Hi, Margie. Hey, that's a new dress, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> what do you think of it? Uh, well, stop uh, asking him questions, Marjorie, or he'll charge the estate for giving a legal opinion. <laughs> I'll go in the other room, young man, and tend to your paper. Okay. <laughs> Did you want me? Yes. Uh, all ready to go to court, eh? Uh-huh. Uh, what about your brother? Where is Leroy? Oh, I sent him to change his shirt for the third time. Uh, Uncle, I wish we'd make him get rid of that printing press. Well, little boys will always revert to type. Now tell him to hurry I don't want to be late This is important and I'm getting jittery about it Oh, now relax and take it easy, Uncle Throckmorton Relax? Ted says the reporter's in fine shape Why, there's nothing to be excited about Now is there? No, by George Come to think of it, I've done wonders I do say so myself In fact, I will say so myself I've done wonders (laughs) I think so Why, since you arrived in Summerfield a month ago You straightened out all of our investments Rented that vacant property, and even put the kitchen on a budget. Why, Judge Hooker should be very pleased. I hope so. I made up my mind to demonstrate to that old... What is it Leroy calls him? Uh, old Leroy? What up, boy? What was it I told you not to call Judge Hooker? Picklepuss! That's it. I made up my mind to show that old picklepuss that a competent businessman could administer this estate properly. Why? Because you can't put anything over on me. Excuse me, Mr. Gill, please. Uh, yes, Bertie? Where did you buy them bananas? Well, from a man in a truck. They were bargains, too. 
The store's want 30 cents a dozen, and he only charged me 25. Well, he done gypped you. There was only nine bananas. Yes. <laughs> yes. As I was saying, mind you, you can't put anything over on my type of businessman. We have a certain alertness. Uh, oh, Great Danes. What's wrong? Look at the time. We'll be late for court. Oh, but court stays open until 5 o'clock, Uncle Moore. Yes, but we can't just drop in whenever we want, my dear. It isn't a barbershop, you know. We have to be there when the judge is ready to take us. Oh, like a beauty parlor. Yes. You see, I don't want to arrive late and have trouble with old uh, cucumber face. I've got to get back here and pack up my bag so I can take the night train. The night train? Yes. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I'm going to back to Whistle Vista this evening. Oh, Uncle Mort. Huh? Well, I thought you were going to stay here and live with us. Well, I am. That's why I'm going back to Whistle Vista. Huh? To sell or lease my house there. You are? Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> oh, Leroy. Yes. Yeah, Uncle Moore's going to sell his house in Whistle Vista and come back here and live with us. Oh, boy, gee, that's wonderful, Uncle Moore. Take it easy. Uh, Do you want me to make you a for sale sign on my printing press? No, no, no. Thanks, just the same. You haven't got that many shirts to spare. (laughs) Oh, uh, Ted, is it time to go? Yes, we should hurry down to the courthouse. Everybody ready? Uh, Leroy, Marjorie, Ted, Bertie? Bertie's not going to court with us, Uncle Moore. I know that. I just want a glass of water. That ham I had for breakfast. Uh, water, Bertie. Yes, Mr. Gill, please. Bringing it. Good. Anybody else want any water? No, no. Here you are, sir. You better hurry, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, one second while I drink this. <laughs> Thanks, Bertie. Now I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh. Excuse me. I must have drunk too fast. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, Ted. I think Uncle Mort has a hiccup. Uh, hiccups? No, I'll be all right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe you... Better do something about it. No, no, no. I'll be all right. Well, Uncle Mort, you better sit down and rest a minute. Well, what about court? You know, Judge... Sir? Judge Hunter, ah, he'll wait. Yes, I can have it put over till tomorrow. But I got to get back to Whistle Vista, Ted. I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> or could I? Why not, Uncle? No, no, no. <laughs> I'll be all right in a few minutes. No, oh, isn't this silly? <laughs> <laughs> now, don't try to talk, Uncle Mort. Just, just sit quietly for a few minutes and, and rest. Rest? All right, I'll rest. <laughs> Maybe it'll help if you unbutton your vest, Uncle. Unbutton my vest? I'll try it. Yes, that seems a little better. Oh! <laughs> spoke too soon. Better button it up again. Yeah. Say, I know a sure cure for hiccups. It never fails. It doesn't? Well, what is it? Drink a glass of water. Oh, but Marjorie, my dear, don't you remember? That's how I got them, uh, drinking water. No, but you didn't drink slowly. Well, You've got to take nine swallows of water and, and not breathe in between. Not breathe? What am I, a fish? <laughs> now, Uncle Mort, it's cured thousands. Sure, you know, a hair from the dog that bit you. Uh, Ted, this is hiccups, not hydrophobia. <laughs> well, I'll get a glass of water. Yeah. You better get a pitcher in case one glass full won't do it. What are you trying to do? Drown them? No, no. No more water, Marjorie. One more swallow and I'll fly back to Capistrano. Oh, help me out of this rocking chair. I'm getting seasick. Cheer up, Hunk. If you can keep on hiccuping for another two hours, you'll get your picture and springs as a thing. You're a bright boy, Leroy. I'll keep quiet. Uh, Mr. Gildersleeve, I just remembered something that'll take care of those hiccups. You do, Ted? What is it? Well, it's simply a matter of breath control. 
Say, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers without taking a breath. Oh, I... Yes, go on, try it, Uncle Moore. Well, all right. Peter Piper picked a... Uh, no, no, it's slower, like this. Like this. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. That way. Peter Piper picked a... Uh, picked a... Uh, picked a... Uh, oh, more water, Bertie. Here we Miss Gilsey. Thanks. Well, who's got the next suggestion? Step right up. Don't be bashful. Gildersleeve the guinea pig. That's me. <laughs> I wouldn't be bringing it up, Mr. Gildersleeve, except my know it'll work positively. Now, if you hold a cold silver knife on the back of your neck, then Hiccup will be gone with the wind. Well, all right, I'll try anything once. If you got a cold knife, Bertie. Uh, yes, sir. I brought one right here with me, Mr. Gilfleeve. Unbutton your collar, Uncle. There. Ooh, it sends the shivers up and down my spine. Where'd you get that knife, Bertie? I had it in the refrigerator. You never can tell when a nice, cold knife comes in handy. Hey, Uncle Mort! Uncle I was outside talking to my pal, Piggy Banks, and when he had the Hiccup, they... Hey, what's that knife doing in your back? Did they operate on you? No. No, Leroy. Bertie suggested cold silver against the back of my neck. Oh, that won't work. It will, too, you, Leroy. I've been watching your uncle since he tried it, and he ain't hit once. Why, George, come to think of it, I haven't hit. This is wonderful, Bertie. Thanks very much. Remind me to give you a dollar. Uh, Ted, let's get started for the courthouse. But, Uncle Moore, a cold knife against the back of the neck cures nosebleeds, not hiccups. Why, that's right. Oh, I thought so, too. You mean to say it's not good for hiccups? Oh, jumping jelly beans. Oh, they've come back again. Forget about that dollar, Bertie. Say, Uncle Morris, I know a sure cure. I can't miss. No, Leroy. It's my turn this time. I've just remembered a remedy. But that isn't fair. I spoke up first. Say, whose hiccups are these? Yours or mine? Okay, go ahead. They're your hiccups. Uh, What's your remedy, Uncle Morris? Well, I'll, I'll take a cold shower. The shock should stop me. It sounds logical. Well, it won't hurt at any rate. We've got to do something so I won't keep speaking out of turn in court. I'll get the car out of the garage. I'll bet that shower doesn't work, Marge. Now, my idea is to scare Uncle Moore. What for? Well, that's an absolute positive cure for hiccups. How do you know? It cured Piggy Banks when he had him t- something terrible. How'd he get them? Drinking a whole bottle of pop at one gulp. Honest, his family tried everything. Then his kid brother put a string of firecrackers in his pocket and lit the fuse. That did the trick, all right, all right. But didn't those firecrackers burn a big hole in his coat pocket? No, Piggy wasn't wearing a coat. Gee, if I could only think of something stupid to pull on Uncle Mort, I bet I'd scare the hiccups right out of him. Now, you wait a minute, Leroy. Don't you do anything drastic. Oh, me? When did I ever do anything? Say, how's about it if I, I put ketchup on my head and stagger into his room and fall down on the floor? Leroy, Forrester, now don't you dare. Well, all right. Let's see. What else would frighten those Donald Oh, oh, it's freezing in the shower. Bertie must be using the hot water in the kitchen. Oh, this water is ice cold. Oh. Uncle Mort! Uncle Mort! Uh, yes? Uncle Mort, where are you? The house is on fire. What? The house is on fire. Oh, I've got to get out of here. Oh, where's my clothes? No time for clothes. My bathrobe, where'd I put it? Never mind, here's a big towel. All right. Come on, Leroy. Which way shall we go? No, no. No, Uncle Mort, go back. Why? Because you still got the hiccups. What's that got to do with my house being on fire? It isn't on fire. I was just trying to scare you. Scare me? What's the big idea? Gee, I only meant it for the best. I was just trying to frighten the hiccups away. If I ever ran out of the house like this, I'd frighten the neighbors away. <laughs> I'm awful sorry, Uncle Mort. Say, you better get back in the shower. There's a big drip on the carpet. Who, me? <laughs> You clear out of here now. 
soon as I get dry, we're going down to the court. Hiccups or something? No hiccups. to go now. <laughs> Come on, Ted. Come on, Marjorie. We're coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where's Leroy? I think he went out. He must be waiting in the car. Good. I hope the judge doesn't mind. Okay, buddy, stick him up. Your money or your life. Leroy, come out of that closet and put back that water pistol. <laughs> oh, that didn't work either. You can't frighten me, Leroy. Go out and get in the car, young man. I told you, Leroy. Just you wait. I'll figure out a scheme that'll make Uncle Mort forget all about those beats of his. Yeah. Now, get in the car, everybody. <laughs> Lovely day, isn't it? Too bad I can't appreciate it. Maybe being in the fresh air like this, my hiccups will stop. Oh, no, they won't. Stop! Oh, the car is doing it, too. Boy, every time you hiccup, P.P., your foot goes down on the gas. You think so? Yeah. You want to stop and let me drive? No, you haven't got time. Careful, Uncle Morris. Careful, you just went through a traffic signal. I can't help it. I'm afraid they're getting worse. Oh, lots worse. Yeah, that's her. Yeah. What's the idea of driving down the street like a jackrabbit and jumping the signal? Where's your driver's license? Well, it's like this, officer. Oh, it's like that, is it? <laughs> hey, what's going on here? My uncle has a severe attack of hiccups. Yes, yes he got it drinking a glass of water. Water, huh? Well, that's original anyway. <laughs> He's been hiccuping for hours. Tell the officer how you've been hiccuping, Uncle. See? Never mind. I've heard him before. Uh, officer, we're in somewhat of a hurry. We're rushing down to the... I get it. To a doctor. Well, come on. What? Oh, of course. That's it. Where's the nearest doctor, officer? Let's not dilly-dally. Gee, you got it bad. Follow me. I'll clear away for you. Thank you. Medical Center building. Oh, I don't know how to thank you, officer. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Same thing happened to my sister's kid two months ago. You know how we cured her? Made her eat a quart of ice cream fast. Oh, yes, yes. Well, I'll put that down on my list. Hurry, Uncle Morris. Shall we go with you? No, you two children stay here with Ted. Oh. Going up? Yes. Is there a doctor in the building who specializes in hiccups? I mean, the cure for hiccups. Oh, you might try Dr. Simard on seven. Get in, please. Yes. Oh. Say, you've got them bad, mister. Yeah. Well, I know something that will cure them in no time. You do? What is it? Eat a quart of ice cream fast. Yeah. Seventh floor. Uh, there's Dr. Smart's waiting room. Four doors down. Yeah, thank you very much. All this fuss over these silly hiccups. Well, at least I'll get rid of them for sure now. Uh, Dr. E.E. E. Simard, throat, chest, and stomach. 
That should cover hiccups, I guess. <laughs> oh. How do you do? Do you wish to see the doctor? No. I just dropped in to catch up on my last year's reading. Well, you should do something about those hiccups. Now, a quart of ice cream eaten fast. I know. It's a sure cure. But I want some competent medical advice. Is the doctor busy? Not at the moment. Now, if you'll step in here and disrobe. I don't want to disrobe. I want to see the doctor. But if the doctor is going to examine you, you... He keeps his clothes on, doesn't he? Yes. Then I'll keep mine on, too. (laughs) Where is he? Uh, Step in here. Doctor, this gentleman wishes to consult. Tut, tut, Miss Wood. How many times have I told you that patients must disrobe? We've been all through that, doctor. There's no need for me to do that. You can see what's wrong with me. Hmm. Open your mouth, please, and unbutton your vest. Thank you. You can close your mouth now. (laughs) Well, it didn't take me long to diagnose this case. No? No. You're suffering from an intermittent, uncontrollable diaphragmatic spasm causing a sudden inhalation which is interrupted by a spasmodic closure of the glottis. I am? Yes. (laughs) Well, what does that mean, doctor? You hiccup. I know I hiccup. (laughs) I can hear myself. Uh, How do I get rid of them? Uh, Now, don't get excited. I have a painless and infallible cure. Oh, you have? What is it? Eat a quart of ice cream fast. That'll be five dollars, please. Oh! Oh! The judges' chambers are down at the end of the hall, T.P. Oh, jumping jeeps. Look at the clock. This is a of a time to show up. Feeling better, Uncle Mo? No. I've eaten so much ice cream, I sound like a good humor man. Now, take it easy, Uncle Mort. Uh, you take it easy, young man. Don't say anything to the judge. Here we are. Ted, did you send the financial report down this morning? Shh, keep quiet. Now, don't worry. That report went down early. Should make a wonderful impression. Well, come on, let's go. Yeah, might as well face old pickle puss. Yeah, careful, Leroy. Anything you say will be used against me. Come in. Uh, hello, Judge Hooker. At last. I was ready to go home. What are you hiccuping for, Gildersleeve? For about four hours now. Uncle Mark's been suffering all day long, Judge. Yeah, maybe if you could frighten him. Uh, quietly, Judge. boy, quiet. Yes, Judge. I'd have been here sooner except for that. Well, I'm glad you sent down your report, Mr. Gildersleeve. Gave me time to study it. I'm pleased with what I found. See, that's swell, Judge. I thought you could do a good job for these children. You uh, you did? Well, thank you, Judge Hooker. In that case, we can leave. Come on, Leroy. Come on, Marjorie. Come on, Ted. What's your rush, Gildersleeve? Take it easy. Oh. Uh, you're nothing but a bundle of nerves. Yeah. I never knew nerves came in such large bundles. <laughs> Very good. I wonder if it'd be all right if I was absent from my duties for a while, Judge. I have some business to wind up in Whistle Vista. Uh, sure, sure. Go right ahead. Take all the time you want. Oh? Only be back next week. Oh. Yes, I see. Well, thanks, Judge. Excuse me, please. Oh, poor Uncle Mort. You can't travel in that condition. I bet Mr. Fowler at the drugstore would have something to relieve you. Let's us two go see him, Marge. And if he can't help, I know a couple of other guys that can. All right. If you'll excuse us, we'll run along. Certainly. Goodbye, then. Uh, goodbye, goodbye. Can you drive Uncle Mort home? Oh, sure. Hey, Leroy. Well, Ted, let's get started. Oh, I can't stop. Hey, those hiccups must be annoying. They are, indeed they are. By the way, I know a sure cure for hiccups. What, you too? Oh, this one never fails. All you need is a brown paper bag. A brown paper bag? 
Well, that takes the prize. Uh, shall I go out and get one, Judge? No, no, here's the bag. Wait a minute. Wait till I dump the apples out. Uh, apples? <laughs> I teach a class at law school, and the boys always bring me apples. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's try this remedy. Oh, no, don't bother, Judge. I think they're stopping now. Now, let's make sure. All you have to do is to breathe in and out of this bag. Understand? I understand what to do, but I don't understand why. Well, you will. Just put your face in the bag. Fine. You look better already. Now go ahead and breathe. Oh. The principle is this. Normally, you exhale carbon dioxide and inhale oxygen. Oh, I see. But this way, you inhale the carbon dioxide you've already exhaled. Oh, I see. Is that clear? No. Well, if you stop inhaling oxygen, you'll stop hiccuping. It's really very simple. So are you. You ought to be all right, but now, how are you feeling? Worse. Oh, my, and I almost had him licked. Strange, it's never failed before. Let me see. <laughs> There's a hole in the bag. Oh, take me home, Ted. I'm going right to bed. Oh, stop that. Hey, Lefty. Yeah? Here's a pillowcase. The ball is still in here. Okay. Now, when we go out, if anyone asks who we are, we're the laundryman. I got you, Red. Uh, shall we uh, take this silver cup, too? Let me see. Yeah. Awarded to Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. First place, potato race, annual picnic, Gildersleeve Dreadaway. Huh. Uh, I guess he was the whole work, hmm? What do you say? No, no, no. It's more trouble than it's worth. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're too easily traced, huh? Hey, you sure there's no dough laying around? No, no, I looked every place, even behind the wallpaper. You think we should, uh, think we should take any more clothes, Lefty? No, I'm wearing three of this guy's suits already, one on top of the other. I'd hate to have to run from some copper this way. Yeah, it's too bad we didn't snag any dough. Well, let's get going. Okay, you take it easy. Hey, look. Get away from that window. Hey, there's a big fat guy coming up the walk. Quick, out the back way. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is he alone? Yes, let's get out of here. No, 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 now wait. I bet he's got a fat bankroll in his pocket. Let's hide behind these curtains. What's where? Make it snappy. What's where? Darling, you and I know the reason. Okay, buddy, stick him up. Now, Leroy. What do you mean, Leroy? Get him up. Oh, I see. You must be a friend of Leroy. <laughs> he put you up to this, eh? <laughs> What'll that boy think of next? <laughs> I says for you to get them hands up and keep quiet, too. I'm sorry, mister, but it didn't work. I still got him. <laughs> you see? Hey, Brad. Oh, hey, you brought a friend, eh? Hey, what's the matter with this guy? I thought you knew. I've got the hiccups. <laughs> you see? Look, you, look. This is a gun in my hand. <laughs> and I've got a good notion to let you have it. No, thanks. I wouldn't know what to do with it if you did. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, Red, yeah. should I give it to him? No, I don't want yours either. You're, you're, you're asking for it, mister. I am not. I don't want any guns. I'm afraid of guns. <gasps> Sometimes they're loaded. <laughs> Shall I plug him, Red? I don't think that'd cure me either, mister. Stand out of the way, Red. I'll show this smart Alex. Well, very realistic. Blanks, eh? <laughs> you, you missed. He moved? <laughs> I'll try again. Don't do that. You'll have every cop in town here. Oh, uh, gangbusters. 
What are you going to do with a guy like that? I know, I know. Lefty, you stick your gat in his ribs and I'll frisk him. Okay. Now, hold still, will you? This time I can't miss. <laughs> now cut it out. Cut oh, it out. Spell. <laughs> Sorry, I'm tickly. You Stop it! Here, give me that gun. No, no, no. Oh, you get away from there. Hurry up, Fred. I can't, I can't. All right, all right. Let's take his pants off. What? Yeah. That way we get his roll and he can't follow us either. Okay. Oh, no, you don't. By George, that's carrying things too far. Fine friends Leroy has taking my... Keep your hands off me, you little... Grab him, Red. Oh, look out for those flowers. I warned you. Now you see what... Oh! That's right, Lefty. Throw him in a fall. Oh, you want to fight, eh? Well, all right. Oh, get off of me before I... Wait a minute, boys. Wait a minute. Stop. Stop. Oh, you give in, huh? Yes. You can quit now. My hiccups are all gone. More double torture. Grab his like Red. Get away from me, Red. Oh, Leroy should have never done this. That's right, Lefty. Sit on him. What is this? Wearing my new blue third suit. This is the last draw. I'm at the sanitary bar. Oh, Red. Get him off. Hold still. Hold still while I hit him. No, no, no. Now, don't move. Now, I... Now, look what you've done. You've clunked your little partner. I left him. I left him. Speak to me. Yeah, speak to him, Lefty. All right, George, he's out cold. Give me that gun before you do any more damage. Oh, no, you don't. Ouch, my foot! Oh. The minute I saw those tight shoes, I knew you had corn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mister, huh? mister, please. What? Please don't point that gun at me. You're just nuts enough to shoot me. That's a very good idea. A couple of blanks might teach you not to go no, around. No, no, no. Huh? Hey, you what's, what's the big idea leaving the front door open? Well, at last you're here, young man. Those two friends of yours are nothing but a couple of roughnecks. What friends? Who are these guys? Come, come, Leroy. Stop pretending. It's all right. My hiccups have disappeared. Oh, look at this room. What? Who's that man sleeping on the floor? That's one of Leroy's friends, and he's not sleeping. Uh, don't try to sneak out, Red. Uh, gee, I, I Come back here, Red, and tell Leroy what you did to me. Well, Uncle, I never saw these men before in my life. And what's all our silverware doing in a pillowcase? Uncle Mark, these guys are burglars. They are? What? They weren't fooling? And to think that I... <laughs> oh, my. Now I've got the hiccups all over again. <laughs> Packed, Uncle oh, thank you, Marjorie. Say, hey, Uncle, how come will you get back from Whistle Vista? Uh, not until Wednesday. Oh, you'll be gone that long? Yes. I've got to put my house up for sale, and I also want to be on hand to greet my two little chums, Fibber McGee and Molly, when they return from their vacation Tuesday night. Hey, maybe Fibber McGee would buy your house. No, no, no. From my past experience with Fibber McGee, he wouldn't buy the place, he'd just borrow it. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> 
was heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Philip Marlowe next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe was a radio series featuring Raymond Chandler's private eye, Philip Marlowe, and it's been noted that the program differed from most others in his genre. It was more hard-boiled than many of the other private detective shows of its time, and here's the episode entitled Tale of the Mermaid. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This started with a wreck and went from there to double murder over 75,000 bucks worth of glitter that nobody got in the end. Because I found out just in time what was fishy about the tale of the mermaid. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Tale of the Mermaid. Nine thirty, I was still in my office, tucking in the loose ends on a report. While I listened with half an ear to the fabric of city sounds rising from the street below. Fabric ripped suddenly by tires clawing concrete. A shattering crash that followed brought me to my feet. It was a traffic accident, a bad one. I ran to the window, but it had happened around the corner out of sight from my office. So I watched others run for it and remembered grimly that every 30 seconds, somewhere in the country, a thing like that happened. And one out of every 16 minutes was fatal. I wondered who had been chewed up in a chromium meat grinder this time as I listened to first the police... Then the emergency ambulance, and finally, the scavenger truck cleaned the wreck off the street. After that, I went back to my report again and tried to forget about it. But an hour later, that same accident came back into my office. Mr. Marlowe? Yeah? This is Corey Riggs. Uh, yes, Miss Riggs? I'm a nurse at the Warwick Emergency Hospital. Uh-huh. About an hour ago, a man named Stanley Ott was brought in, and he's been calling for you. For me? He was badly injured in an automobile accident on Coenga on his way to your office. Wait a minute, who did you say this was? I'm the nurse assigned to Mr. Ott at the hospital. I just got off duty and I had to wait until I was relieved before I could call you. I see. Well, look, Miss Riggs, I'd like to help in any way I can, but it's 9... Mr. Marlowe, Mr. Ott gave me $250 and told me to call you. Yeah, I know, but... And he said that I should give you $200 and keep the 50 for myself. Oh, fine. I'll get clients by proxy. I beg your pardon? Nothing. I'll be right over, Miss Riggs. I didn't know anyone named Stanley out, and I felt a little like an ambulance chaser, but I was only 15 minutes from getting to the emergency hospital. As I walked up the ambulance ramp, a smart-looking brunette came toward me. Mr. Marlowe? I'm Corey Riggs, the nurse who called. Oh, uh, hello. Can I see him now? It wouldn't do any good. You see, uh, he went into a coma a few minutes after I called. Oh, too late, is that it? Let's move away from the door, shall we? Sure. You see, Mr. Marlowe, before he went into the coma, Art wasn't rational. He was raving. About what sort of thing? 
about you and a girl. Oh? As near as I could make out, she's supposed to meet someone tonight at 2 o'clock and collect $75,000. It's quite an assignment. Who's the girl? I don't know. All I said was something about a, a plaid coat as identification. Plaid coat, huh? Any idea what he wanted me to do? Chaperone, maybe? No, he, he kept pleading, stop her, stop her. She can't do it. So I'm sure that he wanted you to prevent this girl from keeping that appointment. For some reason, it seems absolutely imperative to him. Where was this 2 o'clock meeting supposed to take place? I have no idea. Oh, fine. So it boils down to this. The girl we don't know in a plaid coat is meeting someone we don't know at a place we don't know at 2 a.m. The man who wants me to prevent it is in a coma and can't talk. Can you say anything else, Miss Ray? He just kept saying, you've got to help me, Marlowe. It's life and death. You know, we can stir up an awful hornet's nest poking our noses into 75000 bucks worth of business we know nothing about. I doubt that we can do any good anyway, because we don't have enough to go on. If he said anything else to even point uh, in the right... Marlowe. What? Wait a minute. He mumbled something once about a Constantine. Constantine? Yes, it comes here. What is it, a boat? I don't know. But at least it's a lead, isn't it? Mm. Anything else? No. Okay, where can I reach you? I'll be at my quarters. Press you 5781. 5781. And keep track of Stanley Art's condition, will you? If he comes out of it, talk to him. We've only got three short hours. I'll call you, Corey. I felt a little weird as I left the hospital because I was traveling on strictly second-hand information as to what had gone on in a delirious mind. But in spite of that, there was still enough coherence in what Corey Riggs told me to make a case. My first stop was a phone booth and a call to the police. But I found out from the accident report that Stanley Ott was 30, unmarried, small-time lawyer, and an L.A. resident with a clean police record. My next call was the harbor master's office, San Pedro. Uh, Constantine? No. Don't remember no vessel by that name, son. Just a minute, I'll look her up in the registry. Uh, let's see. Constana, Constantine. Constantine. Only one listed is a four-masted schooner sunk off Pirates Point near Monterey in 1870. A little before my time. Not the one, eh? Not the one. So I tried the Coast Guard. No fishing boat called Constantine on this coast, mister. That was followed by a check of Yacht Harbor at Long Beach, negative. And a call of the pleasure boat anchorage at Santa Monica. Left me one solid hour later out at the end of a tottering, almost abandoned concession pier in Venice. Swearing in blind frustration at the black, seething ocean below. I was licked. You ain't thinking of jumping in, are you, pal? Hey, you look like you lost your best friend. I did, Buster. Me. I was sunk with a Constantine in 1870. Constantine? You know him, too, huh? Him? Yeah. You mean Constantine's a guy? Sure, pal. There's a shack there. Uh, wait till the beacon light comes around again. You see? See that? Well, I'll be. <laughs> Prince Constantine Chevnov. Arkosis, promised and medium, personal consultant by appointment only. Yeah, but uh, that's a fake. No fool. All them guys. Uh, he owns everybody around. He, he, even if it's Ziggy, me. For one buck and there's something. 
Buddy, that genuine Russian princess. Hey, hey, where were you going? Have a look. Prince Konstantin Chevnov could be my boy. He wouldn't want you nosing around here, pal. That's too bad. Does he live here? Yeah, in the back. He uh, runs his pitch in the front where uh, all them uh, uh, green curtains are. Uh-huh. Yeah. I suppose he always leaves his door unlocked. Huh? What? What? Who? That's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. There'll be a light switch here someplace. Oh, yeah. Now let's see what... Oh. Oh, you catch. <laughs> Goodbye, mister. Goodbye. As the little wharf rat darted through the door and scampered away into the darkness, I went over the body, face up on the cheap, gaudy carpet of the seance room. He was about 35 in a substantial gray business suit, stained red in front where the bullets had gone in. His wallet was missing. There was no other identification on him. His gray, snap-brim hat was spilled a few feet away, so I picked it up to look for initials and found instead a small file card stuck into the sweatband. Typed at the top was the heading, The Mermaid. Owner Otis Van Owen, only relative Evelyn Van Owen, niece. Mermaid stolen November 12, 1948. Insurance paid in full. In ink, Van Owen died August 1949. And under that in pencil, Constantine Chevnov, Venice Pier, and Louis Paradise. 913 Seacrest Road, Pacific Palisades. It took 20 minutes to find 913 Seacrest. When I stopped and got close enough from what I saw through an open window made Constantine trap I just left look as reliable as a post office by comparison. It was a miniature Egyptian temple, exotic and dainty, sickening lushness of red velvet and yellow silk. And in the center of the room was a bloated little man balancing a long cigarette holder in one hand while he simpered into a honey-colored French phone in the other. I moved up quietly until I could hear him. Sentimental agreement. That is right, Evelyn. Your Uncle Otis and I were the best of friends for years. <laughs> well, thank you, child. Uh, where are you now? Oh, the servitor. Good, good. I advise you to stay there until a few minutes before two, and uh, <laughs> you uh, will not forget to wear a plaid coat just to be sure I won't make a mistake. What is it, buddy? What? Side shoe. Careful now. Sudden noises like this gun going off of oh, Mr. Carter. We find two interest in inside. Conversation. About the mermaid, probably. Uh-oh. I'm glad you dropped that one, bud, because I'd bump you for a nickel. Say nothing to 75 G. I don't talk things over with punks. I reserve it for the head man. Go do something about it. Okay, bud, I will. Go on, move. Out of the door and inside. The paradise gets some kind of kick out of stepping on big guys like you. The gopher face shoved his automatic into the small of my back and marched me inside where the air was thick with cheap incense. The bloated little king with a long cigarette holder had stepped out, but he came back fast when the gopher called him. He stared at me from across the room and his nostrils flared for an instant. And he simpered again and sidled toward me. The gopher dug at my spine with his gun. Well, now, what is this you did? Snooper, Mr. Paradise. Caught him outside, peeking in the window. Oh, it is a bad night for snoopers. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. And uh, the business? Snooping. He knows about the mermaid, Mr. Ferris. He does, does he? How much do you know? Speak up. He's got a fishtail instead of legs. You dare to joke. Don't you. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Dan, don't take it, big man. You asked for it. Make a move and I'll drop you. 
I know what you are, Marlowe, but not how much you have found out. Now tell me, because the next time I slap you, it will carry more weight than my bare hand, I promise you have company, Paradise. Did I get it? No, you keep this baboon under control, Rudy. I will answer the door. Oh, Prince, come here. Paradise, Paradise, what do you mean? How far do you think you can go with my reputation? Do you want to get me hanged? Wife, what is the matter, Constantine? You are upset. Upset? I'm out of my mind. Oh, what a shock. And such a stupid thing for you to do. What are oh. you raving about? He found that body on his front room floor, right, Constantine? Exactly. Precisely. And what is more, I did not put it there. Of all the places in the world, why did you pick this one? Paradise, who is this? This stranger here? If you would close your mouth and open your eyes more often, Prince Constantine, you would not be the nervous wreck you are. This is Mr. Marlowe, another snooper. Oh, another one? Paradise, Paradise, listen to me. It's better if we quit. It's better if we don't try it tonight. It's out of hand. I don't like it now. We should get away and come back next year and do it. Ah, you jellyfish, there is nothing to worry about now. Insurance investigators often work in pairs. Is that not so, Marlowe? Your pitch, round man. You don't need any help from me. You are so right. Rudy and I caught the first at your place, Constantine. Now we have the second one here. That is all there are. The danger is over. It's over. clear sailing for yeah, now. Yeah, but what about that cadaver you had the audacity to leave lying in my cell? Oh, what about that? Excuse me, Constantine. That was a necessity. I am sorry. Now, listen. Hey, Rudy. This go on all the time? Yeah. Ain't it awful? And think of all the champagne, caviar, and bricola, you can buy with the mermaid. I don't care. Just a bracelet. But at the same time, it is $75,000 worth of diamonds and platinum. Oh, okay, Paradise. I trust you. Now, we go, huh? My, uh, Gnazzo. Yes, Hey, Mr. Paradise. What should I do with the big boy here? Yeah, you're kind of leaving a loose end around, aren't you, Fatty? I had the time, Marlowe, I would beat the arrogance out of you a little chunk at a time. Rooney. Yeah? You've got no initiative, but you do have imagination. So use it. Goodbye, Marlowe. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, it's a big break in entertainment for you and a big break in a career for some talented youngsters when Horace Heights Original Youth Opportunity Program opens the door to fame and fortune every Sunday evening on CBS. Popular Horace Heights is host to young folks who want to break into show business. And every Sunday evening, one lucky winner does break in to his delight and your listening pleasure. Yes, for music, comedy, thrills, and all-around fun, listen to Horace Heights Sunday evening. Another great CBS show heard over most of these same stations. Tune in, tune in this fall for the shows that you love best of all. Listen carefully. Here's the address. It's CBS, CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Tale of the Mermaid. Louis 
Paradise hesitated at the door, snarled the suggestion that this henchman used his imagination in disposing of me, and left in lockstep with the white Russian screwball, I got the point. But even if I'd missed it entirely, one look into Brother Rudy's eyes would have done the trick. There were no pupils, just slits of lethal viciousness. Windows to his warped little mind where I could practically see the montage going on. It ran from ancient thumbscrews by candlelight up to a generous beating by street lamp with brass knucks. I felt a cold knot grow in the pit of my stomach. As Rudy, with a cannon in his hand, pointed at my head, started toward me. And from someplace outside, I got a break. Two romantic cats. Rudy spun toward the sound. One chance to a customer, Rudy, and you miss. Kill you, my I'll blow your head off. Not tonight, gentle soul. Give it to me. I don't want you to hurt yourself until we've had a chance to talk. That's it. Now, lie down. I knew there was some reason why I like cats, their voices. Okay, Rudy, you've had enough rest. Now, let's get back to business. Now, now wait a minute. Come on, get, get up. up. We're going to talk. Wait, hold it, please. No reason for any more rough stuff. I'll cooperate. That's better. Where did Paradise and His Highness head for? The Ganazdo, where is it? I don't know. Come on, you said there was no reason for rough stuff, remember? Ow! Yeah, yeah, I remember. That Ganazdo, that's something I never heard of. An unhappy coincidence, Rudy. It's one thing I'm interested in. Yeah, wait. Must be something else you want to know. Something else I could tell you that... Hey, hey, what are you going to do? You mean you can't anyway. tell, Rudy? That's Keep funny. Away. All it... it takes is a little imagination. Ah! Rudy, out of the way, I started through the place looking for all important answer to what was the Ganazzo. The 20 minutes of turning drawers and closets inside out revealed nothing more exciting than Louis Paradise's address book. First names only and a picture of a girl named Toodles who belonged to the Roaring Twenties, and by this time should have caught a death of cold. <laughs> His sister, no doubt. But no lead on the Ganazdo. So on the slim chance that my client Stanley Ott might already be back in this world and able to help, I got outside into my car and drove to the first drugstore where after checking the phone books under everything from bars to bathhouses for a Ganazdo and getting no place, I called Corey Riggs at the nurse's home. No, Marlowe, Stanley Ott's still unconscious. I just talked to the night nurse on his floor. They expect him to come out of it soon. Uh, why? What happened? Well, it's too much to explain now, Corey, but that girl, the one in the plaid coat, mm -hmm. I found out that her name's Evelyn Van Owen, and she's staying at the Surf Hotel. Now, see if that much checks with Art when he comes to, will you? All right. Oh, also, there's a diamond-studded item called the Mermaid, which accounts for that 75000 he mentioned. A Constantine in the pier, now equal a phony Russian prince, who runs a spook palace out on the old Venice pier. Now, you got all that? Uh-huh. Good. Now, look, honey, listen real hard. Before Ott passed out, did he by any chance say the word Ganazdo? Ganazdo? Yeah. Mm, no. What does it mean? I don't know. I, I think it's the name of a place. Oh, have you uh, checked the phone book? Yeah, yeah. It's no dice, Corey. Also, I checked one Mr. Louis Paradise, who so you might uh, mention. Marlo, Marlo, wait a minute. What's Hold the matter? Wire, will you? There's a girl here, one of the nurses, who's trying to tell me something. Uh. It's the Ganazdo, Marlo. Shh, wait a minute. She knows something about it here. It's, it's Rosemary. You talk to her. Hello. Hello. You want to know what Gnazdo means? Yeah. Well, it's Russian, like Ashlemiah Gnazdo. Oh, that's, uh, well, what does it mean in English, Rosemary? Fast, please, is important. Oh, that means let's go to my place. Gnazdo's the word for nest. Sort of like cozy apartment or cottage. My place, nest. You sure of that? Well, I'm positive. I was 
with an army nurse in the war, and I spent two years in Germany after the shooting part was over. Two years, a half a block away from the Russian zone. That's close enough. Thanks a million, Rosemary. I don't mention it. Here's Corey. Oh. That do it, Marlowe? Yeah, I think so. At any rate, unless I'm way off base, it's where both the mermaid and all parties concerned are going to rendezvous at 2 a.m. It's less than a half hour from now. The prince's place on the pier. I want to be early, so goodbye, Corey. I'll call again when I know more. Yeah, and give my everlasting love to girlfriend Rosemary. She all is show a peach. <laughs> Still a few parts missing, the way there always are. As I drove fast for the old Venice Pier and added as I went along, it came out something like a theme of paradise and Prince Whatchamacallit, ready, willing, and able to pay 75 grand for a piece of jewelry that one Evelyn Van Owen now owned. A mermaid, which according to the data I'd found on the insurance man's body, had once been stolen from Evelyn's late uncle. But I left it there when... My rearview mirror said a long gray sedan that had been tagging me discreetly for the last three blocks. Now being indelicate about it and closing fast. The driver was old pal Rudy, and as he came abreast, he headed for me. All right, all right. You're okay. You're okay, Mac. Don't you worry about a thing. We'll have you out of there in a minute, Ed. Hey, can't you knock out the horn? I knock out the horn. What do you think we're trying to I do? Mean it ain't so easy to get my hand past the street of the hood. You yeah. know? Oh. Oh. Well, that's better. Hey. Hey, Cabby, what'd I hit? Well, in order of our appearance, Ooh. Mac, your car into a telephone pole and then you into your dashboard. Oh, yeah, you're sure lucky you bounced off the car first and okay. slowed you down plenty. Oh, hey, here comes the ambulance. Yeah. Not for me. I'm all right. Hey, come on, Cabby. Help me out of this, will you? Sure, sure. That's what we're trying to do. But uh, don't you worry. The ambulance ain't for you. For the guy that sideswiped you and then tried to get away. I seen what happened, and I went after him in my cab. <laughs> he turned into a dead end, no less, trying to shake me. Ooh, is he a mess. But I guess he'll live all right. Hey, what you got against you, anyhow, Mac? Just my life. Listen, your cab's still all right? Sure, there's some place you gotta go. There is. The old Venice Concessions Pier, my friend, and the sooner the better. Come on. Maybe my head against the dashboard was exactly what I needed. Because right then and there, the method of Rudy's handiwork made me think of an angle that I'd neglected almost completely. My unconscious client had not wanted me to get the mermaid or the 75,000 bucks, but to stop Evelyn from keeping her rendezvous, which at this point I figured could mean but one thing. Exactly two o'clock when the cab slammed was stopped near the pier. And I piled out and ran out of the empty, fog-dampened planking that led to Prince Constantine's shack. Nothing but mist moved over the pier. No unusual sound broke the pattern of waterfront noises. But I thought momentarily that I was still in time to prevent what Stanley out somehow knew was going to happen. That Louis Paradise and his eccentric sidekick intended to get the mermaid from Evelyn, but pay off in only one... one way. the rear of the shack on stilts and got close to the half-open door where I could see and hear and found out just what I'd expected. In the storeroom spread out and very still on the oil-soaked planks that were a makeshift floor with a lifeless form of a girl who, according to the plaid coat she wore, was the late Evelyn Van Orn. And kneeling close to a gun in one hand, the sparkling mermaid in the other, 
is her executioner, Louis Paradise. Next to him is number one boy, Prince Constantine Chevnov. Not very happy. A fool to shoot that was stupid. Yes. Seventy-five grand, stupid. Uh, Or would you have preferred that I pay Miss Van Owen in cash? I had to kill her. Yes, 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 Paradise, but the gun, so much noise, we can't afford to attract attention. If two cops is on hand, I should say not, Uh, Prissy. Don't try it, Louis. The mermaid... Space between the boards. You made a bit. Oh. In the water, Chevnov. Shame. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's a shame. We did so much. Worked so hard. Yeah. Killed so often. And a run for it, Your Highness? Run? No. No, paradise is dead there. Without paradise, I I am not so brave. Keep quiet. Don't make a sound, Chef. No, we got company. Quiet! Pardon me. Can you please tell me where Louis Paradise can be? It's Louis Paradise there. Who are you? Evelyn Van Owen. What? Van Owen? The woman who was supposed to sell the mermaid to Paradise? That's right. But on my way over here, just after I left my hotel, somebody struck me, knocked me out. Took my my coat there and, and my purse and ran. Your purse with a mermaid, no doubt. Yes. And that, Miss Van Owen, makes this angle shooter here. Yeah. The very dead nurse, Corey Riggs. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Don't worry about Miss Van Owen. Stanley's going to be all right. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Why is it women always cry when they're so happy? I don't know, but it's effective. Well, I'll run along now. Goodbye. Bye, Doctor. You know, Mr. Marlowe, when I was in Stanley's room with the doctor, Stan said he didn't lose control of his car at all when he had that accident in front of your place. He was run off the road by... By a gray sedan, I know. Because I had the same treatment. One of Louis Paradise's henchmen, Rudy. Where's your car, honey? I'll walk you out. Just outside the front door. Mm-hmm. Tell me, did I tell you why Rudy roughed him up? Yes, in a way. You see, I told Stanley about the deal with the mermaid, and he thought it all sounded a little phony. Can't understand why. He's a lawyer, you know. Not a legal type mind. Uh, he said meeting anyone at two in the morning was ridiculous, so he investigated as much as he could. Because he was worried about me. We're engaged now. No, I never would have guessed. And, and he found out that Mr. Paradise was a fence. And Stan said that probably he never intended to give me the $75,000 for the mermaid at all. That they, they intended to kill me. Mm, here we are. Tell me, why did you get in touch with Paradise in the first place? Just following Uncle Otis's instructions. Mm-hmm. He gave me the mermaid when he was dying. And he told me if I wanted money to sell it only to a Mr. Paradise, but but not to mention it to anyone. Your uncle faked a robbery, collected the insurance money, and then let you sell the mermaid to a fence, huh? It's lucky for you that Nurse Corey Riggs was clever. She put together just enough of Otis's gibberish to know that there was something good to be had and then got me to unravel it for her. She got killed in my place. When she tried to collect your 75,000 bucks. Yeah. Oh, here's my car. Well, Evelyn, for a little while, you were a rich woman. 
Now it's all gone. How do you feel? I'm, I'm alive and in love. Yes, well, that answers my question. Good night, baby, and good luck. When I left the hospital, I wandered back to the old Venice Pier in Prince Constantine, Fernando. It was five in the morning, and the police had finished cleaning the place up. But the word had gotten out, a crowd had gathered. They always do. Curious, restless, sordid crowd, equipped with everything from grappling hooks to homemade diving helmets, all climbing over each other for a chance to fish for the mermaid. She would brought death to three people, injury to two others in the course of one night. And suppose they found her. What then? A lot of glittering pieces of white coal set in a metal frame we call precious. Look at the sucker's grass. That's all, Marlowe. Home and to bed. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Donnelly, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Rita Lynn, John Daner, Michael Ann Barrett, Wilms Herbert, Junius Matthews, Herb Vigran, and Mark Lawrence. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Orant. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started with a terrified woman lost in a maze of memories she couldn't explain. And waiting for outside an open window was death. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Inner Sanctum, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.